0: imagine you're in Rome. You see the Colosseum, St. Peter's Cathedral, alongside high-tech hover cars and streets flying above Rome. Skyscrapers of the landscape. Statues of Roman emperors from Augustus all the way up into the present day stand in the square of emperors. The sea ships docked in the air above the harbor. A major airport connects Rome to the vast expanses of the Roman world. This diverse multi-ethnic nation if nation is even the proper word, has ruled the world for literally thousands of years. So how did we? So how did we come to this world rather different than ours? A wrong turn down the road of history. It's rather quite simple. Avoiding Adrian Adrianople. Welcome to Imagine If, the alternate history podcast. I'm your host, Brody Burton. First off, I'd like to thank you all, my listeners, for sticking with me thus far. I'm proud to announce that we have now surpassed 1,000 listens and are on the road to quickly pass 100 active listeners. Thank you for helping our show grow, and if you ever can, I would appreciate it if you could share with your friends and family. We are very family-friendly here. So much so that my parents and grandparents listen. Our audience, both in the United States, Japan, and other countries, I feel is growing, and I'd like to thank you all for that. I'm yet to put any advertising into the show, so I know any, any um, growth will be from word of mouth. I'd also like to thank Don Shelley from the Fork in Time podcast. I'd recommend you check them out. It's also a great sh- show that covers all sorts of topics around alternate history. Turning from that sidetrack, today we are going back in time to one of history's most pivotal crossroads. And no, it's not the election going back in time roughly 1,642 years to the event that in many ways started the fall of the Western Roman Empire, part of the broader Roman Empire that ruled the Mediterranean from its pedestal on the Palatine Hill for over a 1,000 years. To put that into perspective, it would be like some of the governments that participated in the Crusades still ruling us today. So, as much of my audience is American, where the history of Rome is not very well taught, and going through pre-AP world history right now I can testify to this. And for the rest of my audience, which is primarily in Japan, I'd probably guess they don't teach you guys about a peninsula halfway across the planet. Then again, I don't know. Regardless, I'll explain exactly what the Battle of Adrianople was. The Battle of Adrianople was a battle that took place in the 4th century AD in the region of Thrace, roughly including today's modern-day European Turkey, Bulgaria, and Eastern Greece. It was part of the Gothic invasion of Rome in the Gothic War. How did we get to this point? The quote-unquote barbarians, and I'm using air quotes while saying this, were invading Rome in nowhere near in numbers that Rome could nowhere near match and they all managed to attack Rome at around the same time from France to Syria and this is kind of not normal especially considering that communication is very very rough at this time and it would probably take two years at best to get a message from France to Syria so why were the Goths invading in the first place the answer is, um, odd. Remember Be- remember the Disney movie Mulan? China goes to war with the Huns. Of course, the story of Mulan is fictional, but the Huns were not. The Huns were a fierce war-finding machine that extended across much of the former Soviet Union and Mongolia by this time in history. They also had a strong presence in, Ukraine- in um, Eastern Europe and in Iran. Meanwhile, Rome was politically divided after the reformations made under Emperor Diocletian and the death of Emperor Constantine and the widespread conversion of many to Christianity had um, caused some division between the staunch paganists in the empire and Christianity, even at this time, was not divided, I mean, was not united. Even even after the... it was not dead yet, though. It's going to be kicking for a while. Even after the Battle of Adrianople, it would take 200 years for the West to fall, and over a 1,000 for the East to fall, in the 1453 siege of Constantinople by the ancestors of those who live in modern-day Turkey, the Ottoman Empire, who did it out of faith to a religion which would not exist for 200 more years after this time frame. But Rome still was on the way out, even if it was moving slower than a tortoise. Why was that? To be put simply, Rome just wasn't Rome anymore. The period of Pax Romana had ended the political cohesion because the state was not united against a single enemy. Well, I'm sorry. The Rome of Pax Romanica had a political cohesion because the state was united against a single enemy and could force its forces into a single nation, and could unite its force into attacking a single nation. So what if they could do this, that is, and, and additionally integrate the tribes of Europe, like what they did with Carthage and Greece and to a degree Israel? But more on that later. For now, it's time for a word from our sponsors, and then to Imagine If. Rome won the Battle of Adrianople. Imagine, the date is 9 Augustum, 378 years after the birth of Jesus Christ. Your name is Emperor Valens, and your army is on the lands outside Adrianople, where you hope to bring a defeat to the Goths under F- Fritigern. As your armies march, correspondents tell you that Furtigern wants to negotiate a peace with you. You ignore it. As you march up the hill, in a quick, bloody fashion, you destroy the Gothic forces. A few minutes later, you hear the surprise sound of cavalry coming, but you're able to successfully fend them off as well. Furtigern is captured and you began to negotiate a peace. However, you were injured in the battle. You die just after making peace with the Goths. Despite having won the battle, the need to fill Emperor Valens' G- shoes was great. However, only one could really fill his shoes. Theodosius the Younger. Theodosius was the son of an executed general, Theodosius the Elder, who was killed during the crisis of the 3rd century. Theodosius was met with the defeated Goths and asked for their emperor, Fritigern, why they were invading Rome. Fritigern told them that a massive empire he referred to as the Huns had driven them out of their homeland, further north. He also said this Hunnic empire was attacking the Sassanites, a longtime enemy of Rome's. Theodosius sent a consul to the Sassanids to confirm the rumors. They were true. The new emperor, Ardashir II, met with Theodosius in Babylon bringing along a guest unexpected to Theodosius, consuls from each of the sixteen Chinese kingdoms. They all agreed to mutually attack the menace that the Huns posed to each of them. The Hunnic War had begun. The Romans began by recruiting all the tribes displaced by the Huns and settling them in Rome, and more importantly, in the Roman army. Theodosius then took the tribes in Gaul, Germania, in the east, and invaded Hunica, the name given by the Romans to the land north of the Ukraine that was in the Hunnic control. They had very little contact with the Sassanides and the Chinese, so they had no idea how the war was progressing across the planet. The Romans found very few forces in Hunica, and quickly captured the fame Attila, and the Hunnic nation seemed to be over. Word came, however, that the Huns' forces had been in the Caucasus, Caucasus, and Asia at the time, so the Romans weren't quite done yet. They would first have to launch an attack into Central Asia, completely foreign territory to them. However, as the winter of 380 AD came in, or as the Romans called it, 1133 Ab Urbe Conditia, or AUC, by the time 1134 rolled around, however, the Huns were far beyond Roman reach so rome began to colonize conquered land more conquered land than they had received in three centuries they settled the goths in ukraine and built the city that they called gothiopolis or the city of the goths they also built theodosiopolis in honor of theodosius however instead of becoming part of the eastern or western roman empire theodosius reorganized the empire so, so that it was no longer east or west controlling the reigns Theodosius looked back at the old republic and created a new governance model based off said republic, the imperial republic. Each imperial arch-province would select an emperor who would choose a successor. Then a senate would convene in the province's capital every five years to pass laws while the emperor would govern the land. The western empire became the province of Romana, and the eastern empire became the arch-province of Constantinople and the new portion of the empire became the arch-province of Gothiopolis. However, problems still loomed across the horizon. Emperor Sharpur III came to power after the death of his successor, Ardashir II. He was upset with the Romans for abandoning them in the Hunnic War. The Huns had already s- nearly sacked the capital of Eshachir, in- deep within Sassanid territory. Sharpur decided to declare war on the Romans and launched an invasion of Judea and Cappadocia. Theodosius responded. As soon as he heard, he left Gothiopolis for Constantinople, where he raised an army from from those two provinces, and encountered the Sassanides by retaking Cappadocia and sending naval forces to, to resupply Judea, which had held out against the Sassanids. Theodosius first conquered the provinces, of Garmakan, Ashuristan, and Mashan, reaching the Persian Gulf before launching the Battle of Bishapur, the last major city before Estakir. The battle was bloody and decisive. The Romans won the battle and Sassanids, devastated by two wars, assassinated Emperor Sharpur and pronounced the Sassanid Empire Roman territory. Theodosius and the Romans gladly accepted and absorbed the Sassanite Empire, as well as Armenia, in a dead zone in Central Asia, into the province of Astakir. However, the idea of a Hellenistic people on their next door did not sound good to one empire, as 1204 AUC came around. The Gupta Empire was formed by the descendants of Chandagru- Chandragupta Marian and his empire, the Marians, who overthrew the Hellenistic dynasty in the region, governed by the descendants of the generals of Alexander the Great. The idea of a Hellenistic nation on their borders was something that they thought was confined to their nightmares. However, Articus, Theodosius' son, and the the new arch-emperor of Estakir, led an expeditionary force into Kushna territory and along the Indus River, which made headlines in, in the Gupta Empire. Across India, the kingdoms and empires knew what this Roman superpower would bring for them. Nothing good. Ramajir became the site of a meeting for an alliance between the three nations that controlled India. The Gupta Empire, the Keshakira Kingdom, and the Vakastakas Kingdom. However, the aggression they showed toward the Romans worried the Romans. Honorius, Theodosius' other son and arch-emperor of Roma, was dealing with problems in Britannica so Roman forces weren't united along the Indus. Arcadius negotiated a peace between the Indian powers and Rome, signed along the Indus River. Meanwhile, Honorius was engaged in what the Romans were calling the Final War of Britannica. Roman forces in Britannica finally led an invasionary force to conquer the northern portions of the island of Britain and were launching an attack on the island of Ireland. Honorius had launched an invasion fleet from Gaul to the southern portion of Ireland and chased Celtic forces up Ireland. However, once they had reached the northernmost portion of the island, Celtic forces fled on ships. Honorius sent another general to obtain ships and chase the Celtics. That general was Alaric I, a goth who was leading the Roman forces in Ireland at the time. Alaric found that the Celts had settled in a far northern island that he called Celtica. He defeated the Celtic forces there at the Battle of Celtica. However, a small contingent escaped to another island, which Alaric called West Celtica, which was much larger than Celtica. The Celtica islands were farther west than any Roman force had ever gone. However, they kept going west. Alaric changed the final contingent, only 24 strong, to what Alaric called Magno Marcus Tullius, or the Great Unknown in Latin. Alaric tried to find his way back to Ireland, but at this point was thoroughly lost. He sailed down the coast of Magno Marcus Tullius, mapping the coast. He discovered forested lands with a colder climate matching that of the Baltics, where Alaric was born. He found ports and marshes. He found native tribes. Finally, he sailed down further until he swept into a current that took him across a great body of water, where he eventually landed in Gaul. He reported back to Honorius about his findings in the land that was renamed Abysitera, or the Far Lands. After Aulric's legendary adventure in the Farlands, Rome reached a 200 year peace. During this time, a new leader had come to power in 518 AD, or after the birth of Christ, known as Justinian I. Justinian I brought a period of reorganization not seen since the reign of Theodosius I. He created the position of chief emperor, which was the superior legal leader in the, of the empire, and the code of Justinian. The newest unified law code since the Twelve Tables were written a thousand years prior. The Justinian dynasty of Constantinople would rule over the arch province until Hercules was was appointed by the last member of the Justinian dynasty. Hercules was a lot more hawkish of a chief emperor than any of the members of the Justinian dynasty were. He took advantage of the declining Gupta empire to finally launch the long-awaited Indian War. The Gupta Empire, on the verge of collapse, finally broke when Hercules took rain- the reins of the army and invaded the Indian subcontinent. This final collapse of India in 615 AD led to the Romans looking at the other major world power on their doorstep. Since the Romans and Chinese had first met in the Hunnic War, a dynastic rule had been restored into a single dynasty in China, the Sioux. However, they themselves were on their way out. The Tang family was fighting to take control of China. Seeing an opportunity, Hercules backed the Tang as they be- began the battle to overthrow the Sioux. In 618, this finally occurred. However, the Tang dynasty did, have to- did agree to have China become a Roman arch-province. With this and the creation of Martha Arch-Province in India, Hercules had brought two provinces, arch-provinces into the empire saving it from another potential period of decline. However, there were still enemies, chiefly the Mongol, Korean, and Japanese, who were the final forces opposition to the Roman forces in northeastern Asia. In Europe, under the direction of Hercules, the final northern territories were brought into control of the Roman Empire by 625. In 626, Hercules met with met with Mongol tribes who had agreed to join Rome as part of the arch-province of Daxing. The Koreans and Japanese would still hold out. Meanwhile, back in Rome, peace was staying. However, religious orders were getting ready to be disturbed. A certain Muhammad had been teaching a new religion in Arabia, a region of which Rome did not control. This religion, Islam, spread across non-Roman lands quickly. Hercules was disturbed by the rise in the new faith as a threatened to upset Christianity. It was still being taught in the arch-provinces of Daxing and Marthra. However, the religious order within the empire, namely Pope Saint Boniface IV, advocated toleration, reminding many of what Christianity once was. The Treatise of Medina caused Muhammad to bring his faith and the nation which had followed it into the Roman Empire as the arch-province of Medina. However, Islam wasn't the only fast-growing thing in Europe. The population had continued to grow, despite the occasional outbreak of the bubonic plague, and the populations needed somewhere else to settle. The open regions of Daxing were one, where many in the more populous spots of the province uh, as well as throughout Asia went, and Abyssinia, the legendary land discovered by Alaric. Many began to settle in two spots in the Bissi The first was where Alaric defeated the final Celtic forces, which they named Alaricopolis, and another farther down in a natural harbor in several rivers and islands, in what the area the locals called Manhattan. Because it was so far away, Empress Irene of Constantinople, the first female arch-empress, declared another arch-province, namely, the Arch-Province of Manhattan. This was part of the 600-year peace after the founding of Islam. Many saw there as as there being no way left to expand. Corruption and disunity spread throughout the empire, as the chief emperors of Constantinople became increasingly unpopular. In 1206, the chief emperors were finally booted out of Constantinople when the chief assembly, the imperial legislative body, declared the new emperor of Daxing, Genghis Kong, as the chief emperor. This was the first time a chief emperor was from somewhere in Asia. Khan began his expansions with envoys against the Japanese colony of Korea. He invaded and conquered all of Japan and organized the arch-province of Edo. He continued Edo's lands when he went south of Daxing and conquered the final non-Roman lands in Asia in the southeast. He would conquer island after island until his death in 1227. After this, he finally gave the chief emperors back to Rome. Reports came that there was more land found east of Genghis Khan's homeland. The chief assembly voted from Rome to begin colonizing this land and also to map inland Manhattan. They're disappointed to find 130 years later, in 1340, that the land found east of Daxing was still in Manhattan territory. That wasn't the end of the bad news either. Another empire called the Aztecs sought to challenge Rome. Of course neither knew of the other size. Arcama Picilili was the leader of the Aztecs, and he fortified their homeland against the Romans. The mountainous terrain was unlike any other that any it was unlike any other major nation the Romans had fought for, in 700 years since the War of Conquest against the Sassanites. The war stayed slow-moving for the Romans for 150 years. Then, two people, both from the arch-province of Rome, finally made an impact. Christopher Columbus, from an old Roman family in the old Roman city of Milan, chartered the, the remainder of the Far Lands, and 30 years after him, Hernán Cortés conquered the rest of it. Now the final piece of open real estate on earth was Africa. Once the arch provinces of abyssi and Tenochilán were set up, all Roman eyes looked to Africa. Colonizers, Colonizers from Asia and Europe began to settle in Africa. One especially important group was the Japanese, who established New Japan on an island south of the arch province of Medina. Today, Roman colonization of Africa is still a slow-moving process. We've since opened up colonies on the moon and Mars. Thank you for sticking with us all the way to the end of today's episode in Imagine If. I wanted to try something new today, and I wanted to see what y'all would think about it. At the show's website, sites.google.com. I will post a voice messaging system and a Google form, so y'all can tell me how you feel about this. I'm going to try and explain why I wrote some of the things and that I did in the episode to try and make it a little less dry and scripted. Hopefully, that's not what you feel like the Joe, like the show is like. But here we go. Why does Rome not fall? So, in reality, Rome fell for a m- multiple of different reasons. With the chief of these being, they stopped being Rome. Um. By this I mean, Rome had always been able to adapt new military strategies, and had always been able to integrate new ethnic groups into their empire. However, they stopped being able to do this with the Germanic tribes and the Gothic tribes that eventually came their way in the early 1st millennium AD, and this is what really led to the fall of the West. The Eastern Empire was, to a degree, more able to do this. Also, the Huns never forced those, um, I'm using the Roman term here, barbarian tribes... Into Roman territory, because they are defeated. Who were the Sassanids? The Sassanids were an empire who had traditionally rivalled Rome. They had also previously been called the Persian Empire. They, their territory was roughly that of modern-day Iran and Iraq. Sometimes it exp- extended into Turkey. Sometimes it didn't. It really it fell with the rise of Islam. For the most part, and it would eventually become replaced with other forms of government, specifically Iran. Who was Alric? Alaric was a Gothic leader who um, initiated what was in reality the second stack the um, the first sack of Rome in over a thousand years on different ends of Rome's growth. A few thousand years prior, Rome had been sacked by some local Italian tribes when it was still a small city. It was eventually rebuilt and became the world's chief military power. Okay. Why arch provinces and all that sort of stuff? So I, I use the term arch province because the Roman Empire had hundreds of provinces at, at the end point of its empire, at the point in which we took off here um arch province it's arch has often been a word used by um to display superiority like you have archbishops in the catholic church who are superior to bishops and these arch provinces are also going to be what the catholic church in this reality uses to model their dioceses and other forms of church organization off of as at this point rome and the catholic church are very Although it was not called the Catholic Church at the time, they were very much, um, intermingled. The, um, the Bishop of Rome, what we now call the Pope, um, he was also Pontifus Maximus, a position previously held by empires, and is the supreme religious, um, supreme religious position in the Roman Empire. Okay, why is the government sort of a constitutional monarchy? So first off, um, I had used a different term for this because, one, the word monarchy. The Romans never, early in Roman history, Rome did have a king. How, they had seven kings, and then they overthrew them and became a republic. A few hundred years later, that was overthrown, and they became an empire. So with this, um, they had vowed never to be ruled by a king again. So that's why it's not specifically mentioned as a king. But why is it sort of a constitutional monarchy? That would be because um, Rome had still held to the Republican roots, even at, though it was powerless at the time the Senate still was in existence from the time Rome fell. And the Senate would still even meet until, I believe, it even met after Rome fell, even though it was powerless. Thank you for listening to today's, to today's episode of Imagine If. I hope you enjoyed what we did here. I hope you enjoyed this dive into Roman history. Um, see you next week.